Book Two, Chapter Thirteen of Clara Vaughan, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wooly B. WoollyBee.blog.com. Clara Vaughan, Volume One, by R. D. Blackmore. Book Two, Chapter Thirteen there was a school of design not very far from my lodgings and thither i went the next morning my landlady offered to come with me and see me safe in their room and of course her charlie who seemed to know everybody knew some one even there to whom she kindly promised to recommend me so i gladly accepted her offer in some respects mr shelfer was more remarkable than even his wife he was so shy that on the rare occasions when we met i never could get him to look at me except once when he was drunk yet by some mysterious process he seemed to know everything about me the color of my eyes the arrangement of my hair the dresses i put on the spirits i was in a great deal more in fact than i ever cared to know so that sometimes my self-knowledge was largely increased through his observations repeated by his wife but i was not allowed to flatter myself that this resulted from any especial interest for he seemed to possess an equal acquaintance with the affairs of all his neighbors mention any one anywhere around and he without seeming to mean it would describe him or her unmistakably in half a dozen words he never praised or blamed he simply identified he must have seen more with a blink of his eye than most people see in five minutes of gazing he seldom brought any one home with him though he often promised to do so he never seemed to indulge in gossip at any rate not with his wife cut it short old ooman was all the encouragement he ever gave her in that way when he was at home a thing of rare occurrence he sat with his head down and a long pipe in his mouth he walked in the street with his head down and never accosted any one where did he get all his knowledge i doubt if there were a public house in london but what shelfer knew at the furthest a cousin of the landlord and a brother of one of the pot-boys charlie shelfer everybody called him and everybody spoke of him not with distinguished respect but with a kindly feeling his luck was proverbial he had a room full of things which he had won at raffles and he was in constant requisition to throw for less fortunate people as for his occupation he called himself a nurseryman but he had no nursery that i could discover he received a pound a week for looking after the garden in the great square but when any one came for him he was never to be found there i think he spent most of his time in jobbing about and swapping as mrs shelfer called it among his brother gardeners sometimes he brought home beautiful plants perfectly lovely flowers unknown to me even by name and many of these he presented to me by mrs shelfer's hands every sunday morning he was up before the daylight 
and away for an exertion or rather an incursion through the hampstead highgate and holloway district from these raids he used to return as i came home from the morning service by the way if i had wanted to puzzle him and find a blank in his universal acquaintance the best chance would have been to ask him about the clergyman he never gave the pew-openers any trouble neither indeed did mrs shelfer who called herself a catholic but the lively little woman's chiefest terror was death and a parson to her was always an undertaker if mr shelfer had not spent the sunday morning quite so well as i had at any rate he had not wasted his time i think he must have robbed hen-roosts and allotment grounds and yet he was too respectable for that but whence and how could he ever have come by the gypsy collection he always produced from his hat from his countless pockets from his red cotton handkerchief every sunday at one p m eggs chickens mushrooms sticks of horseradish and celery mistletoe thrushes cucumbers cabbages red and white rabbits watercress eiselberry ducks i cannot remember one quarter of his manifold forage all i can say is that if these things are to be found by the side of the road near london middlesex is a far better field for the student of natural history than glockashire or even beloved devon mrs shelfer said it was all his luck but i hardly think it could have rained islesbury ducks even for mr shelfer all the time he was extracting from his recesses this multifarious store he never once smiled or showed any symptoms of triumph but gravely went through the whole as if a simple duty how was it such a man had not made his fortune because he had an incurable habit of backing bills for any one who asked him and hence he was always in trouble mrs shelfer and i were admitted readily into the school of design it was a long low room very badly lighted and fitted up for the time until a better could be provided it looked very cold and comfortless forms instead of chairs and desks like a parish school the whitewashed walls were hung with diagrams sections tracings reductions most of them stiff and ugly but no doubt instructive at one end was a raised platform reserved for lecturers in the higher powers shelves round the wall were filled with casts and models and books of instruction were to be had out of cupboards of course we were expected to bring our own materials and a code of rules was exhibited the more advanced students were permitted to tender any work of their own which might be of service to the neophytes from no one there did i ever receive any insolence at first the young artists used to look at me rather hard but my reserved and distant air was quite enough to discourage them after the introduction which mrs shelfer accomplished in very great style i dismissed her and sat in earnest to pore once more over the rudiments of perspective one simple truth as to the vanishing point struck me at once i was amazed that i had never perceived it before it was not set forth in the book i was studying but it was the sole key to all my errors of distance at once i closed the book upon that one subject i wanted no more instruction i had caught the focus of truth books like bad glass would only reflect my perception all i wanted now was practice and adaptation of the eye strange as it seemed to me then i could draw no more that day i was so overcome at first sight by the simple beauty of truth 
mathematical yet poetical truth that error and obscurity for there is balance in all things had their revenge for a while on my brain but the truth once seen could never be lost again thenceforth there were few higher penances for me in a small way than to look at one of my early drawings when my brain was clear i returned to do a real day's work for the cups and vases and plates and things of aesthetic art as they chose to call it i did not care at all but the copies and models and figures were most useful to me unless i am much mistaken i made more advance in a fortnight there than i had in any year of my life before with my usual perseverance if i have no other virtue i have that i worked away to correct my many shortcomings not even indulging much as i wanted the money in any attempts at a finished drawing until i felt sure that all my foundations were thoroughly laid and set and now i cried towards christmas now for mr oxgall if i don't astonish him this time my name is not clara vaughan it did me good when i was alone to call myself by my own name and hug my right to be my father's daughter End of book two, chapter thirteen, recording by Wooly B, WoollyB dot blog dot com.